Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Two years ago, a friend of mine named Kevin Childs went to be with Jesus at 54 years of age, dying of cancer. Um, Kevin used to tell the story of um, a movie, and it was as though there was this scene that was just a quick scene in which you played a two-second part, and, but you told all of your friends the movie was about you. And he would talk about there's, there's a bigger story and it's not about you. And the title of today's message is The Bigger Story. So on the back of your outline, you can just write that down, The Bigger Story. And the, uh, I have a son, John Michael, who uh, my our oldest, and he is a filmmaker. He's been working professionally in film for about seven or eight years and lives in Atlanta, he and his wife, Nicole. And it would be as though on this film set, There's this opening scene of a parade, and on the sidelines, there's this guy who's in the parade in a panoramic view that just goes right by him. But then on Saturday, John Michael is going to visit his wife, and he goes to Starbucks where she's a manager, and he's sitting down with his triple tall Americano, and he looks over a couple of tables over, and there's this guy that he recognizes he was in one of the opening scenes. Well, and it was just this, this, again, he's a side on the sidelines. But he's trying to meet some girls. And so he walks up to this table and he's talking and they said, are you a student? And he says, no, actually, I'm, I'm an actor. And they said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I'm in town for this movie. And, oh, what movie? Well, you know, I can't say disclosure statements and all. We've, we've, I can't really tell you. Well, what part do you play? Well, I'm kind of an action guy. I, um, I play an action part, you know, and uh, the, the movie actually opens with a scene of, I'm in the opening scene, and, and uh, you know, it really built, it's built around that entire opener. And, uh, you know, my son would just laugh at that, and, and you do too, and, and yet that's how we live our life. We really believe that it's about us. We believe that we're the main story, but we're not the main story. And, you know, how many of you, has anybody here, you know, there were a couple of folks in the earlier service, maybe that life has kind of dealt you a hand that you have lost hope? Or maybe uh, you've blamed God for your circumstances? Or you've just come to a place in life where you really feel empty? Yeah, I, I think if we're honest, all of us have been there. And Good news is, if that's your life, uh, the story we're going to talk about this morning, that was her experience as well. And in chapter 1 of the book of Ruth, in the opening passage of Ruth, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, 
and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Naomi reached this place of total loss of hope. She just lost hope. She actually begins to journey back to her home area of Bethlehem. And she speaks to um, Orpah and to, to Ruth and says, Look, just go back to your families. Go back to your Gentile homes. Don't go with me to Bethlehem. Because the only life that there is for me is just a life of a widow and I'm going to live in the rest of it out in my home area. But go back to your people. Go back home. She does what people in pain do and that is she wants to isolate. She basically is saying to her daughters-in-law, look, I'm bad luck. Don't hang around me. You need to go away and she wants to isolate. And what happens next is Ruth says... Nothing doing. I'm with you. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. I'll die with you. And she sees this one daughter-in-law who says, I'm all in. And the other says, you know, I think you're right. Uh, Life's better back in Moab. And so she leaves. And we we, that's where we pick up this, this picture. And we see in verse 12, it says, If I should say I have hope. And in that, in that phrase, do you hear that? If I should say I have... In other words, she has no hope. Years ago, I got a phone call from a friend named David. David and I played tennis together for a number of years. And I hadn't seen him in a long time. And he calls me up and I think, Oh man, so great to hear David's voice and catch up on life. But he wasn't calling to catch up. He, he kind of told me, he said, You know, I, I, I've been through this horrible divorce and life is just been really difficult since we played tennis together back in the day. And and he said, you know, I, I, I'm having trouble with my work and my business. And it ended on a very sad note, just a sad phone call. A couple of weeks later, I get another call from Raleigh. And a friend says, have you heard about David? I said, yeah. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. He shared with me, you know, what's going on in his life. And yeah, it's really, really sad. And he says, no, no, they, they found David at the end of a, a dirt road with... Uh, a hose in his car where he had asphyxiated, committed suicide. He had reached a place in his life where he had no hope. No hope. Naomi was there. Place of no hope. You know, there are times where Larry Crabb says it this way, that life is like a city after an earthquake. God's presence is hidden Beneath the rubble of the fall. It's like a city after an earthquake. God's presence is hidden beneath the rubble of the fall. Naomi, the first point there is Naomi lost hope. The second point is Naomi thought God was against her. Naomi thought God 
was against her. My friend Tom, he and several others around the country, around the world even, prayed for his mentor, a friend who was dying prematurely. Uh, they prayed for the longest time. They, they, people fasted. They prayed for his healing, for his full recovery, and he died. My friend Tom's response to his death was he blamed God. Not only did he blame God, he actually reached a place where he left ministry altogether and no longer believes that there is a God because he didn't hear and answer prayer. Often God is very silent in the midst of our pain. He's very quiet when we're hurting the worst. When we're crying out to him the most, he doesn't seem to be anywhere to be found. In Ruth chapter 1 verse 13 it says, Would you therefore wait till, till they are grown if she was to have children at that time? And she said, would, the, would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is an exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. She blames God for her circumstance. Naomi felt empty. At the end of that chapter it says that she... Went away full, but she returned empty. Verse 19 says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? And she said, Do not call me Naomi. The word Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty, Shaddai, which we talked about in the names of God recently. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. I went away full, but I have returned. The Lord has brought me back empty. And that's your third point. Naomi felt empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity? Upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter in law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. And then notice this phrase at the beginning of the barley harvest, you see a glimmer of hope. She leaves at a time of famine, she returns at a time of harvest. It's the beginning of the turning of the story. You know, when pain and difficulty reaches our life, um, we have a lot of different responses. I, I just heard this past week of a, a dear friend. Um, they're, they're a young couple working in Papua New Guinea. The husband was, uh, Matt, Matthew was uh, in the youth group of a ministry of a church that I led in, in Savannah, Georgia. And, and Matt married this lovely girl, Rachel, and they went to Papua New Guinea, and they're translating the Bible there. And she received news from her family a week or so back that her four-year-old niece, had died in a drowning accident at a pool, in a swimming pool. So as she may, is making preparations to come home, the family is making preparations to bury a four-year-old. Life is hard. It's difficult. It's painful. Suffering is part of the journey. And Christians have one of basic, well, they have a few different responses. Some enter into an avoidance where they deny that pain exists. Well, it's not really all that bad. You know, or, or they're really sick and they say, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm healed. Um, and they, they live in this denial. Others 
enter into addiction, whether it's sexual addiction or alcohol addiction or drug addiction. They, they seek escape, numb the pain, numb the pain. Some Christians do that through work. I'll just work harder. I'll just do more work. Or others just settle for surface relationships. They try to control other people. I'll never be hurt again. So they begin to try to control all relationships and friendships around them. Their children. I'm going to have perfect kids. <laughs> That's funny. And, and, and so they, 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 try to, uh, they try to control what's around them. Or they just live on the surface. I'm not going to go deep with anyone. Not Naomi. She says, I'm bitter. She tells God she's bitter. She tells her friend she's bitter. You don't want this woman in your small group. I mean, she, she's just real. She's real. She's real and she's raw. And I believe it's the key to the turning of the story because she, die, she doesn't live this facade of what it means to be a follower of God. She is willing to go deep with her God and deep with herself and deep with her friends about her pain. It's the key to coming out of pain. When we try to put a Band-Aid on a cancer, you will not be healed of the cancer. You've got to be willing to go deep with others in your pain, to be healed of your pain. What we choose instead is Christians become what I call functional Buddhists. We become functional Buddhists in this way. The four tenets of uh, the four noble truths, uh, we say life's filled with suffering. Suffering's caused because of desire. Therefore, we need to blunt the desire. And then the fourth noble truth, we need to spend our life blunting desire. A lot of Christians live their life that way. Not Naomi, thankfully. Well, kind of a depressing story this morning. Uh, That's Naomi's story. But let's look at God's story, which is the second part of your outline. Three things happen in this story of Naomi that should encourage us that there is a bigger story than your story or my story. The bigger story is, number one, God expressed, God expressed his deep love for Naomi through Ruth. God expressed his deep love for Naomi through Ruth. When you're going through difficulty and pain, and we all do, the only way that pain is touched is through other people. It's not a self-journey. It's not just between you and God. It's between you and God and others. You've got to invite others into your pain to be healed and to have hope and to have a brighter future. And for Ruth, for Naomi, Ruth was that person. God showed his kindness to Naomi through someone named Boaz. Boaz at the, this time in history, there was a, in the Jewish culture, there was someone called a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. In other words, they were kin to a person who had great loss. So if someone lost a husband, the, the, the law stated that the nearest of kin would take on the responsibilities of that loss, the debt and so forth. They would own that and they would care for that person as their own. And so Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. However, there was someone closer than Boaz. And so Boaz had to defer to the closer relative. I mean, 
not only do Naomi and Ruth face famine and the loss of spouses, then they face legal battles. Because this is a legal battle. Of, and and, and the, the certainty of its outcome was not at all clear. They had to wait. God's not on our timetable. Tim talked last week about Abraham. Abraham waited from the, for the promise of God for 25 years. Why do we think we should wait any less? Silence. 25 years of silence. God hasn't changed. And we see this, this Boaz as the kinship redeemer. He steps in and he shows kindness. He shows kindness. God showed love. God expressed his deep love for Naomi through Ruth. God showed his love in, in, in my life through a guy named Jim Stobbs. I was in my late 20s and I went out to plant a church in North Carolina. I was so excited. I was going to be joining my best friend Don. We were going to plant a church that was going to transform the city. Four years later, four kids later, and, uh, and, and no money and very few people and three jobs, I realized this isn't going to get off the ground. This is not going to survive. And I was working at a tennis center cleaning toilets saying, God, this is how you treat your friends? No wonder you have so few. Uh, I sent out 50 resumes when people used to send these things out by snail mail. Uh, and no, no responses. A couple of graduate degrees, no responses. Finally, got two responses. One said, we can't afford you. I said, I come really cheap. <laughs> and the other was a church in, uh, in Savannah, Georgia. I'm in ministry today because of Jim Stobbs showing the love of God in practical ways and mentoring me and taking a young church planner under his wing and said, hey, you've got value. We need you. And there was a brighter future. There was a bigger story. Today I'm able to go to the nations because I didn't bail in 1994. God showed his kindness to Naomi through Boaz. God showed his kindness in my family through a woman named Rose. Rose cared for my mom during the last years of her life. For the last 10 years of my mom's life, she had dementia. And she died daily by inches for 10 years. And Rose would come and bathe her and love on her and care for her and talk to her and befriend her. Touched my life, touched my kids' lives, taught them kindness. When someone can receive, only receive, and not have anything to give. God's kindness. God revealed his bigger story at the end of the chapter of the book of Ruth. In chapter 4, verse 13, it says, So Boaz, verse 13 of 4, So Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Notice that phrase. Blessed be the Lord, 
who has not left you, who has not left you. God has not left you, regardless of your circumstances. He may be silent, but he's never absent. He may be silent, but he's never absent. We sang earlier about God is good, God is good. He'll never let you down. Got bad news. He'll let you down again and again and again through this lifetime. And if you live for time, you'll live in being let down by God. If you live for eternity, with an eternal perspective, we can sing the song with joy. God is good, God is good, He'll never let you down. Because we're not living for time. We're living for eternity. There's a bigger story. A bigger story. So we see here, he says, "Blessed the, the women say, Blessed be the Lord the redeem, who has not left you without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. And He shall be to you a restorer of life. And a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. I mean, I can just see the joy in this old woman's eyes as she holds this baby in her arms, realizing there is hope. And the woman, the, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. I saw this documentary on the Holocaust where rabbis were being interviewed and they said, they were asked, what did you tell people after the Holocaust? What was your advice to your people? And he said, our advice was for them to have babies. Because in having a child, there's hope for the future. And that was God's answer to Naomi through Ruth, through the kinsman redeemer. Boaz. You know, I used to hate when, uh, back when the, there, was the, there were these things called TV shows. It was before Netflix and before binge uh, uh, viewing of things. And we watched these shows and there was one, MacGyver. I mean, MacGyver was good, you know. And, and rumor has it, rumor has it MacGyver's coming back. I hope he has a Swiss Army knife. But it, MacGyver uh, I remember watching one episode that I was really into, and we didn't watch a lot of TV, and so we were just excited about this. And I finally sit down, I'm watching MacGyver, and we get to the end of the episode, and it says, to be continued. I was so bummed. That really is how the book of Ruth ends, to be continued. It gives a list of genealogies, and it tells that he was the great, she was the great-grandmother of, uh, great-great-grandmother of David. But she didn't live to see the rest of the story because the next time when the story picks up in the next episode, we're back in Bethlehem and there's another child born in a manger. Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't know what you're going through today in your life, but it's not the end of the story. My story and your story is to be continued because we live for eternity. And not time.
I don't want to minimize uh, anyone's pain today, but I do want to give a couple of resources that I have found very helpful in my own journey with the Lord and with my family. These two sources, uh, resources, the first one is Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey. I think the subtitle, which you can't read there, is something along the lines of uh, questions no one dare ask in public. Um, we've all got disappointment. If we're honest, we've all been disappointed with God. Great book by Philip Yancey, Disappointment with God. Second resource is Shattered Dreams by Larry Crabb. Shattered Dreams, God's Unexpected Pathway to Joy. True worship cannot come apart from pain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, that you are good and that you are present and that you're never... You're never absent, even though you're often silent. Holy Spirit, we invite you today to enter into the pain of your people. To remind all of us that there's a bigger story. That there's a bigger story and we just are thankful we get to play any part in the bigger story. And that you whisper to each of us to be continued. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.